This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with Danny Banks. Danny is originally from the Boston area, but has called Memphis home for the last decade, where his main gig is touring with Nicole Atkins. He's also toured with John Paul Keith and John Namath, and is active in Memphis's many recording studios. We have tons of Patreon content for you to check out, and you can get access to it all for a buck a month. Go to patreon.com slash workingdrummer for video lessons, transcriptions, and bonus interview content from our former guests. Once again, a donation of $1 a month gets you access to everything at patreon.com slash workingdrummer. coaster by birth danny was obsessed with the blues from an early age and seems to have fully assimilated into the memphis scene so here we go hope you dig danny banks i was not hip to nicole atkins uh before I was, you know, until I was hip to you. Um, mm-hmm. So why don't you just start by talking a little bit? Because, I mean, that's your main gig, right? That's kind of your... Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little that's... bit about her and what kind of an artist she is and, and what your duties are and uh, where you are in, in the work cycle <laughs> with her. Okay. Right on. Uh, well, so how that all came about, I was on tour um, with an artist out of Memphis, John Paul Keith. We were in Europe. And... Uh, I met Nicole at one of the festivals we were playing in the Netherlands and she never heard me play, didn't know who I was, but knew I was in John Paul Keats band cause she knew John Paul. Um, so yeah, she just randomly came up to me and asked if I, she asked if I was a drummer. I said, yes. And she's like, you live in Memphis and all that. And, um, she was like, well, I need a drummer. This was in 2019. She's like, I need a drummer for a tour in the summer. Do you want to do it? So I was like, sure. You never heard me play, but, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I got the gig with her and, uh, been playing with her ever since. And, uh, it's, it's been great. She's, um, she's a world-class singer songwriter. Um, and her music's interesting because it's not every record she's released. It's different, Mm -hmm. but I like to call her like, she's like a, a crooner. She's almost like, it's almost like Sinatra met like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I surfed around on Spotify a little bit, and there's um, you know there's like greasy Memphis shit, and there's kind of like piano vocal Carol King shit, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so it's every record, which is awesome for her to be able to release a record every time, and it's different than the other yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. 
So like her her latest studio album uh, was Italian Ice, um, and she recorded that in Muscle Shoals. I, I'm not on it on any of her records yet. We're starting to work on a record. Um, I think next month. Mm-hmm. Um, but her that record was recorded at Muscle Shoals with David Hood on bass, Spooner yeah. Oldman. Cool. And it's and she had Biggie Griptight come in. Man. And uh and Britt Daniel from Spoons on there. Jesus. Um this yeah, tour so I'm on she, went through uh Huntsville, Alabama recently and so we we just did the total tourist thing and you know, toured fame and muscle shoals sound and so like I'm I'm on the heels of being in that room, so I'm just like fuck. Yeah, man. man. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. So cool. But yeah, yeah. so um yeah, we, this year's been kind of slow with Nicole because she's she needs to do new records, so we're working on that. But uh, we've been lucky to do some opening shows um, uh, recently with Stevie Nicks, which was awesome. Right. Um, right. And we got we got one coming up in Memphis at the Forum at the end of October. And it seems like you um, all have opened did, for uh, quite a few other sort of like big name headliner acts, right? Yeah, uh, Elvis Costello we did last summer. Yeah. Um, and Spoon, uh, Amanda Shires, right? Um, and I'm probably forgetting some other people, but yeah, it's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So like with you know with with artists, I think they're you know they or their management or or them together, um, you know, sometimes have to make a choice about like are are we going to pursue this lane of you know being an opener for big headliners or being a headliner on a smaller show. Um, yeah. so it like, is, is Nicole doing both of those things? Are, are y'all kind of investing more in this headline, in this, uh, opening act lane? Like where is the calculus um, about that? Well, so in 2021, we were doing a headline show. I mean, it wasn't big, big venues. Um, but, um, right now she's sticking to opening, um, mm-hmm. just to kind of, I mean, she's been around for a while already and a lot yeah. of people know who she is, but you know how the business is. It's, it's so weird. You gotta, you know, it's hard to get recognized when you've been around for so long. Um, yeah. so these opening shows are definitely helping. And the Stevie Nicks show is, I mean, her Instagram followers like jumped Wow. after one show and it was just a 30 minute set. <laughs> three minute set. Thir- 30 minute, 30 oh, minutes. 30 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I was, I was three like, minutes. Jeez, you guys are setting it everything feels like up three to play minutes. one fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, it's been done before. I'm sure it's been done before. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um, just like as as an aside, every time I hear the name Stevie Nicks, I'm reminded of uh, this this joke that my wife and I have because like early in our relationship, um, if you know if my phone would ring or I would get a text or something, my my joke would be like. Oh, it's probably Steely Dan. I better answer it, you know. And like <laughs> after six months of this, my you know my phone rang and my wife went, "Oh, hey, it's probably Stevie Nicks." <laughs> and I was like, "It's it's close, but it's not the same." Uh, That's know. great. I like so that. <laughs> now, now like Stevie Nicks is our shorthand for like the you know the big gig. You know, she'll be like, "Yeah," and like you know, a couple years down the road when Stevie Nicks calls, it'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's great. Hey, man, you never know. You, you never, never know. know. Like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you you found yourself, you know, sharing the stage with her, and uh, you you might be opening for me one day, Danny. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh um, man. So, uh, what like one of the things we hear about a lot is like, especially from drummers who are 
um, you know, part of a band or an artist that's that's opening for big acts is like, you know, oh, I got to see, I got to see the drummer for the big act, you know, play their set, or we got to hang out. So like, mm-hmm. with with some of those um, headliner acts, uh, are there are there any drummers' performances or drummers' hangs that uh, stand out in your memory so far? Um, definitely, uh, Jim Enos from Spoon. Mm-hmm. Um, he he is just an unbelievable player. Um, and he, I feel like our, our, um, our styles are very similar, just big backbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and just getting a chance to watch him play every night was an honor. And, uh, he, uh, super sweet guy. Um, and so we've stayed in touch since. And, uh, yeah, he's probably one of my favorites. Yeah. Cool. Out of the headliners that we've opened for, and and somebody that you sort of see yourself in, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. It's it's amazing when when you can um, watch somebody just be themselves, be a hundred percent themselves. Um, yeah, especially if you get to see them do it like multiple times, um, right? And even even if who they are isn't you know, the same as who you are or who you want to be. Like, I just find it really inspiring when somebody is just like, so 100% themselves on the drums, 100% of the time, uh, and, and fuck the rest, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jim, Jim was uh, awesome to watch play. And, uh, he's just so focused when he plays and he's always watching Britt Daniel lead singer. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a drummer, you always got to watch who's leading the band. Right. Um, but just like how he would approach a feel or a song, it's it's really cool. And I learn a lot watching him. Yeah, yeah. Is is uh, being yourself or, or figuring out who the hell you are behind the drums uh, something you've you've struggled with? Um. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've, I think I finally found who I am. Um, but at first, when I first started, especially touring, um, you know, I was so excited, you know, and I was probably overplaying I didn't really know about dynamics and, you know, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, I wasn't bashing, like I wasn't like, Oh God, this drummer's so loud. I can't listen to him. But there were moments in songs where it's like, now you're going to bring it down here. Or it's like, you know, I've been honored to back up some amazing singers. Um, one of the uh, Nicole, but uh, the reason why I moved to Memphis was to back up this blue soul singer named John Namath, right, um, right. who has an unbelievable voice. And um, but he was very big on dynamics and teaching me and the rest of the band, like, hey man, I'm singing, so I don't, I'm not as loud as you guys, um, so keep it down, you yeah. know. And he'll tell us when to bring it down. And when we all got that, it was just like every gig was more fun to play right because it's like because the audience is having to listen more right you know and some people are like some people were after the shows were like you guys were so quiet like Mm. cool yeah (laughs) thank you (laughs) thanks and the sound the sound engineers love that too because it gives them an opportunity to actually mix you more right you know yep in my opinion but um yeah but yeah but but when i when that kind of like dawned on me it was like ah dynamics that's when i finally found myself and who i am playing drums yeah it's interesting because um, like uh you know 
so many drummers uh, pay lip service to the idea of playing for the song, you know, whether they actually mm-hmm. do or not. Um, but, you know, people people think about coming up with the right part that supports the song and having good yeah. time and groove and all that. But I think something that doesn't get talked about enough in terms of playing for the song is not playing so goddamn loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And yeah. and too loud playing is just becoming too prevalent, in my opinion. This is my Clint yeah. Eastwood get off my lawn portion of the interview. <laughs> like, I see just I see so many drummers, whether it's on social media or live, just like bashing all the time, and it's just it's stressful. like to a point where it's not musical anymore. Totally. It's just like oh, here's a drum solo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, like. And it turns your it turns your tone into garbage. Like your drums yeah. and cymbals just become garbage when you're hauling off on them. Anyway, okay, yeah. old guy rant over. Um, <laughs> so like uh, you're 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 gearing up to do a record with Nicole. Like has has that uh, started in any way? Are you doing demos yet, or is it still not not happening? Um, yet? So she's she's been. I mean, she has so many of songs that have been written or are kind of written, not finished. Um, so this pro, what we're going to do now is we start a few demos, but we're actually just going to go into the studio, um, and I think four or five um, give it to her manager, and he's going to shop around for a label who wants to pay for the record. Um, but if we get something really good out of these demos, then we'll just use that. But, um, that's, I'm glad I'm not part of, on that side of like dealing with a manager and having to find a record label who wants to give me money to do an album. Like, Dude. I'm just like, I'm back here on the drums. Just let yep. me know what I need to do. It's exhausting. <laughs> I, I too am so glad that I don't have to deal with any of that shit because what, what artists go through, uh, you know, apart from whatever it is they do on stage is just a crucible. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's um, crazy. And, but yeah, Nicole, I mean, Nicole is a pro. She knows how to handle that stuff. So I've heard, yeah. I've heard a lot on her end and, uh, I'm just like, man, girl, I feel for you. <laughs> <laughs> man. So in like, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, her, her previous records are kind of all over the map. Like everyone is different. Um, how, is this one taking shape sort of stylistically and, and how much of a voice do you have in like what this record is going to sound like? Um, well, I mean, that's to be determined. I mean, usually all her demos, um, do this, they'll change. I don't know what direction we're going to go with this, but, um, I, she's, she asked me to be on the album, which I'm, that's awesome. Um, And so she's definitely like, do your thing, put down whatever you think will work for this song, and then we'll work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's what's going to happen. Um, so it's hard to tell right now, yeah, because it could. I mean, we could go in and sound like do like a Led Zeppelin record, or we could do like piano lounge music, mm-hmm. but cool piano lounge music. <laughs> 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 Who knows? I, I don't know because um, her her like style of music, her favorite music is it's so it's, it's so much. Everything's different. So, um, we'll see what happens.
so you uh, you tour with Ain't Too Proud? Yeah. So were you in Memphis at the Orpheum Theater? Yeah. Okay, I was. I I saw. I forget what night it was. I saw. I saw the show. It was awesome. Oh shit, man! I I wish yeah. we could have hooked up. Damn it! I saw Sean. I, I got to hang yeah. with Sean Zorn, um, and shout out to him because he's the one who hooked us up to make this happen. Um, yeah, man, man, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you made it. Glad you made it. Yeah, my uh, my fiance works at the Orpheum. She's the uh, press relations manager there. Oh, cool. So, okay, yeah. so you you get so, in for free all the time. Uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, I'm a, like I'm like third. I think I'm like third call because um, usually she goes with her sister and her mom. Because yeah. her, her parents have season tickets and her she always invites her sister. So I'm like third, fourth call. If Got her it. sister can't make it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it was and a great show. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm, I appreciate yeah. it. I'm having a blast. It's a really, awesome. it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do every night. I'm, I'm spoiled in a lot of ways on this show, like in comparison to other shows. Um, yeah. and you know, first and foremost among them is just the music I get to play every night. It's, uh, you know, it's great. Um, and that was a cool full circle moment for me to, to play at the Orpheum because, uh, like 15 years ago, I was dating a girl, uh, and we were, we lived in Kansas city, uh, and we're both super into Tom Waits. I'm still super into Tom Waits. And for my birthday one year, she bought us tickets to go see Tom Waits at the Orpheum in Memphis. Oh, um, cool. So we drove there and like spent the night and everything. But like, you know, I, I, I saw like, you know, one of my idols in that room. And then years later I got to come back and just like play in that room. It was, yeah. it was really yeah. cool. That's so cool, man. Um, and Memphis is cool as shit, man. I I love it. Really, how long have you I been love there? It. I've been here for ten years now. Okay, and it was that it was that gig uh, that sort of brought you from Boston or the you know the Massachusetts. Yeah, region. yeah, with John Namath. Um, yeah, and he was what worked out too is because I was already familiar with Memphis, of course, with the music. But first time I ever came to Memphis was in two thousand seven or two thousand eight, I think. And I was um, playing with a band from Connecticut, and we entered the their their like Blue Society challenge, mm. um, and so we won the challenge. And the winners of these Blue Societies go to Memphis to compete in the International Blues Challenge. Right. Um, so yeah, we we came to Memphis and we made it to the finals, and I'd, the finals are held at the Orpheum. Right. Um, right. But that was my first experience in Memphis. I did all, you know, went to Graceland, went to Sun, went to Stax, did all of that. Ate yeah. so much barbecue. And I was, <laughs> at the time, I think I was 14, I think. Um, Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was cool. And it stuck with me. And I, when I came back home, I was just, like, constantly listening to Stax records and Elvis. And, um, and yeah. And so when John... Uh, was like, hey, you know, I need a drummer. And I was like, I'll do it. And he was like, well, me and my wife and kids are moving to Memphis. Hmm. Um, so I need you to live in Memphis. So I was like, cool. So I yeah. lived with him and his wife for like six months before I found a place. And wow, that's wild. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, I've interviewed a few other drummers uh, from Memphis. Uh, we mentioned Sean Zorn. Uh, mm-hmm. I've talked to Rod Bland. I've talked to George Slupik. I've talked yeah. to Stephen Chopek. Um, yeah. And, Terrence uh, Clark. 
Yes, my my uh, co-host Matt uh, talked to Terrence a, a while okay. ago, and we should probably talk to him again sometime soon. Um, but yeah, uh, he's got the he's got that big gig now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Stevie Nicks gig, the proverbial Stevie yeah, Nicks yeah. gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, I uh, w- one of the things that we talk about um, in terms of Nashville a lot because my my co-host Matt lives in Nashville. You know, probably half the drummers we interview are are Nashville drummers, um, and we've started talking a lot about old Nashville versus new Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. And how there's there's maybe a little bit of a cold war or a battle for <laughs> the soul of Nashville and what's what it's going to be and and the dividing lines are generational they're musical they're political um, mm-hmm. and I don't know how it's going to shake out and it may never shake out these these two things might just sort of coexist forever yeah. but is mm-hmm. is that dynamic at play at all in Memphis? Not at all. <laughs> awesome what's my next <laughs> but no, it, it just made no. me wonder about about other towns with like uh deep entrenched musical legacies um you know i, I lived in kansas city for seven years I, I went to grad school there and even within the jazz community there was sort of this uh shifting from you know the old school more straight ahead bebop to uh newer uh more adventurous uh, experimental shit. Um, and that was, you know, 15 years ago when I lived there. Um, Mm -hmm. so, but it, it, you're, you're saying it's all sort of peacefully woven together in, in Nashville. It's all, yeah. I mean, yeah, everyone, I mean, every drummer is, I mean, we got each other's backs. Um, and this is going, so what's funny about that is, um, there was this drummer who's my mentor. His name was Howard Grimes. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you about him because you, yeah. you text for him for a, a while also, right? Yeah, I did. I did like a six week tour with him. Um, with, he was playing with John Namath. John Namath, when he first moved here, did a record with this band called the Bokeys, who Howard was in. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, but going back to, you know, we got each other's back. Howard Grimes used to say that all the time to me. He's like, man, we got to stick together. You know, we're all in this together. We're all working. Um, and so that's what's going on in Memphis is every drummer here has each other's backs. Like for for example, Sean Zorn, he'll call me for a gig. I'll call him for a gig to sub Yeah. or like this, setting this up, like, right. you know, where there's no beef, there's nothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And Which I is, think is great. That, that solidarity definitely exists in Nashville amongst the drummers of Nashville. Um, and I think that, you know, that generally exists in any drumming community. Like I've, you know, I've lived in Kansas city and LA and Atlanta and it like that, that happens everywhere. Um, I guess what I was referring to in in terms of Nashville was sort of the overall musical brand of the city Mm. and the music Mm -hmm. that is coming out of there and the music that it has been known for versus the music that is, it is starting to be known for. Um, and you know, the differences between the types of people that are <laughs> making the music that's coming out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it at all. I mean, everyone is so creative here and, um, everyone's so behind like new music coming out of Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which I love that. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a very creative, creative city. Um, it's a really laid back city too. So, yeah. 
Um, and, but there's so many great studios here too. And all the engineers or people that own the studios know each other and are like, you know, who are you recording today? And they're just everyone. There's no, there's no like competition here. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know. what, what are some of your favorite, uh, studios to work at in Memphis? Man. Um, I've been working a lot at, uh, Sam Phillips studios. Yeah. Um, uh, Jerry Phillips owns that Sam Phillips, son actually just, um, just cut a record with him, um, which will be out, I think next year. Um, and then there's Royal studios, Boo Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, blanking right now. Um, there's so many. Oh, Magnetic Studios. I think um, that's the one Sean works there quite a bit, right? Like he, yeah, he did his sample pack there, and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the guy that runs that is uh, Scott McEwen. Um, he had a studio in Nashville for a long time. I forget the name of that studio, um, mm-hmm. but he moved it here. It's a gorgeous studio. Nice. Um, and then uh, Matt Ross Spang. He just opened his studio called Southern Grooves. Um, yeah, yeah, he, I've heard of that. Yeah, he had his opening, grand opening last night. Went over, went up there last night. It was really cool. Um, but I, I've done a couple sessions there recently. Yeah. Um, so in terms yeah. of this, in terms of the session work you do, is it is it mostly at those studios, or do you have your own rig at home as well? It's mo- mo- mostly at those studios. I am uh, not that high tech with my own studio. Video. I yeah. don't have the mics and I have the drums. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all, but, we all uh, have the drums and, and we all have the drums and we're all somewhere on the journey with the mics and all the other shit. <laughs> yeah. And I thought like, you know, with COVID when we had to stay in, like a lot of people I know, a lot of friends are like, oh yeah, you know, I just set up my own studio and I'm, I'm just like, I can't, I thought that was going to help me like okay, yeah, I got to do that. It's like, nah, (laughs) (laughs) just, it just bounced off your atmosphere. Like not not happening. I had trouble trying to get the zoom thing working. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My fiance, I I had, she had to help me. She was like, all right, you click on this and then this and that. Like, oh geez. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting about Memphis because like in, in a lot of towns, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's a huge place like uh, Nashville or L.A., um, well, put it this way. In, in those places, there there are like the huge flagship studios that a, you mm-hmm. know, a very select few are working at on a regular basis. Um, right. And then, you know, below that, there's just tons of DIY shit. And like if you live in one of those cities, if, you know, if you want to get into recording – you know, the DIY route is is kind of your best bet, at least in terms of how much you're going to get to do it. Um, but in Memphis, it's like there are there are enough rooms, there are enough like professional studios, and it's not completely saturated with drummers like you, so that you know right. you don't really need to set up your own rig at home. Uh, it's 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 almost sort of a <laughs> um, the the uh, antiquated model of studios and recording. It's like you form relationships with those engineers and they call upon you. Like you don't, you don't need your own room at your house. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And it's beautiful. Memphis, everything in Memphis is so close. So I could, I could call up, you know, say like Matt Ross bang or someone like, Hey, can I come down and like cut some drums? Yeah. Come on over. Just, it's like a five minute ride. Right. (laughs) You know, it's right. 
So yeah. we're, we're, I mean, we're spoiled here. Musicians are spoiled here with just how many great studios we have. Yeah. Um, and they're all and working all the time. Like, it's not like the studios yeah. are sitting empty. Like they're full all the time. Yeah. They're always working. Man. Um, yeah. And so when, when you go into those rooms, I, I, I imagine, like I said, it's, it's through relationships that you have with engineers, producers. Um, mm-hmm. How long did that take to sort of, I mean, did you, did you arrive in Memphis and sort of see that dynamic and say like, oh, okay, I got to create, you know, relationships and get on that guy's radar and this gal's radar and that, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, w- it wasn't easy at first when I first moved here because the problem was, is that I was always on the road. So well, yeah, I should back up because like you, you moved there for a gig for a live mm-hmm. gig, a touring gig. So I imagine when yeah. you got there, you know, it wasn't high on your list of ambitions to be like, I'm going to be in these studios every day. Right. Which I mean, that was my goal mm-hmm. showing up. I was like, I do want to do that, but it's like, but I also want to tour. So when I first moved to Memphis in 2013, I mean, we were doing almost 200 shows a year. Um, and so I would get a call a few times, Hey, can you sub for blah, blah, blah tonight? I'm like, ah, no, I'm, I'm out of town. And so I noticed those calls were getting less and less cause they just figured uh, he's probably out on the road. Yep. Um, but that took, it took a while. Maybe it took like, I don't know, maybe it took like three years really to kind of get into the scene and be a guy that they'll still call me if I'm on the road. Yeah. Um, and just building those relationships. Um, right. Yeah. It, it was tough at first. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's tough when you're away. Like I'm, I'm experiencing that to an extreme right now. And, you know, I've, I've basically, uh, temporarily divested from the Atlanta scene. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, yeah, I, I don't really know what's going on there right now. Like I kind of have some awareness through Instagram and, and whatever else, but you know, yeah. when this tour is over, I'm going to have to sort of like, re-enter as if I'm, I moved there for the first time, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, did you, so was there a point when like you're doing 200 dates a year on the road? Was, was there a point mm-hmm. at which, uh, you, um, committed to being home more or did it just sort of happen? Uh, it just sort of happened. I mean, it really all happened when COVID began. Well, okay. Um, so you were doing the Namath tour up until that. Yeah. Yeah, I was in. Yeah, and like the in 2019, just before COVID, I was doing Namath and I was doing Nicole. Mm-hmm. So, because um, Namath's schedule kind of dwindled down a little bit, and he wasn't wanting to work as much. Um, so, I was when I met Nicole, that kind of kind of worked out. I had to figure out some scheduling stuff, but um, but yeah, and then COVID hit, and it was like no work, and then tours started slowly coming in, but like noticed that the money got there was more money. So it was like less, less touring. Mm-hmm. So the money got bigger. So, which I'm a fan of. <laughs> right. So, so meaning you're, uh, you're, you're touring less, but getting paid more when you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. I'll take that trade. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, so many drummers have, uh, talked about what they did during COVID and for most of them, it was tackling the recording thing. Um, yeah, but you, you didn't tackle it. You chose not to like, what did you do? So, um, I was very, very blessed and thankful. Uh, so there's this guy named Dale Watson. Uh, he's a old time country singer. He, um, 
he his his genre is like doing old old country um but he opened a venue in memphis called hernando's hideaway Hmm. and it's a very famous venue like back in the day in like the 50s um up until probably like early 70s um elvis presley played there before he was somebody jerry lee lewis played there um and uh the house band was run by donald duck dunn wow yeah mgs yeah um, but anyways, it shut down and then I think 2019 Dale bought it. Um, and, uh, so I did one gig with Dale. He needed a drummer last minute and, uh, and then COVID happened. So I got a call from Dale saying, Hey, um, I'm going to do live streams five nights a week. Um, I got the cameras and all that. Would you want to, I'll pay you and, uh, and then I'll give you whatever money is donated to us through people watching. And so did that for about a year. Wow. Um, and then also at the same time, Nicole picked up a, a thing for Amazon, and it was it was Twitch. They were trying a new thing where they would have live music, live band play. Yeah. And so they picked up Nicole, and so we went to Asbury Park, her hometown, New Jersey, stayed with her parents, and set up shop at a, a bar down the street and had – professional cameras and we just did a live stream for about an hour hour and a half wow and so and amazon paid us for that and um and just doing other different little live streams during how COVID. cool and so yeah the, the um at hernando's hideaway you said you were doing a live stream five nights a week um mm-hmm. was it just like different music different players every night or it, it was it, drum it was solo every night <laughs> 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 no it was with dale and we reached, he has such a huge catalog of music that he's written and he knows so many cover songs and so it was just like get up on stage play for the people play dale songs play some covers have some drinks i mean we wow. had the bar to ourselves and he yeah. was the owner so he would yeah. grab a bottle of tequila be like all right boys let's keep playing you know man <laughs> You might have won COVID, man, because, <laughs> you know, like for, for me and a bunch of other drummers, it was it was our chance to like really get the home studio thing going. But you you just got to keep playing gigs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> man, that's wicked. That's wicked. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, you know, and yeah, I just I think about that. I look back on that and I'm like, man, like that's really lucky to be able to to have done that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think back on the whole experience and it, it just seems so bizarre and surreal. Wild. And, yeah. Sometimes, I, sometimes I, want, I wish we can go back to that in certain, you know, like yeah. I didn't mind staying home for like a few weeks. Yeah. No one's out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm an introvert homebody to begin with and, and, you know, for, it, it did end up wearing on me, but for a good long while I was like, I get to like stay home and mix my own drinks and don't have to drive anywhere. And like, fucking great. I'm here for it. Get Um, your groceries delivered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, uh, what was I going to say about that? Uh, it, it did, it did grind on me, but it, it took me, it took me a lot longer to get sick of it than it took my wife, for example. Um, oh, and the other thing I was going to say, I mean, the, the, the other sort of relief about it is, um, like all, all your gig envy and insecurity was temporarily relieved 
because mm-hmm. nobody's doing shit. Nobody's touring. Yeah. Nobody's going to the big studio. Like you're not scrolling Instagram being like, Oh fuck, that looks amazing. I'm, I would yeah. love to, you know, and there's no pressure to like, you're not doing shit. There's no pressure to throw what you're doing out there. Like, Hey, look at me. It was right. just, it was lifted off of all of us for, you know, a year plus. And, yeah. uh, it was, it was a great relief to me. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of other drummers who are, are prone to, uh, the, the, the gig envy doom scrolling, uh, <laughs> I know in, insecurity <laughs> trip. <laughs> yeah. Looking at the schedule, like, Oh geez, next week. And I, I don't have any gigs. I need to book something, you know, or <laughs> right, right. All right, like I don't have any gigs for the next six months. Oh wow. Nobody else does either. Great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man. It was wild, man. Wild. about Howard Grimes. So like in addition to teching for him, he was he was a mentor of yours and he's also someone that I just recently got hip to. I, I have not read that book yet. Uh it's you know I'm I'm going yeah, to I should the, I got I have the book to. somewhere. Oh yeah this guy right here. I should. Everybody has to Timekeeper. Right. Timekeeper. Yeah. Um it's it's a it's a great read. It's a quick read too. Like after I finished I was like you know I I know I've known Howard personally but it's like I feel like the book should just be like so many pages. Um, but yeah, uh, so I never heard of Howard Grimes. Um, I always thought, you know, Al Jackson Jr. was the guy in Memphis. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was, Um, (laughs) but there was another guy and his name was Howard Grimes. And, um, so I, I met Howard when he was working with Namath. Um, and, and so I met him, I met him basically on the road got in the van with John and nine other guys. And, um, just that's how my relationship started with Howard, just sitting with him every day in the van, van talks. Um, the guy had so much history and just, he's just a legend. And it's, I mean, he sadly doesn't get a lot of recognition for what Mm -hmm. he's done. Um, he started his first hit was, um, um, it was a Carla Thomas tune and, um, he was like, I think he was, he said he was like 15, 14 or 15. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was huge inspiration on me. Um, and just like, it was cool getting to tour with him and getting to see how he sets up his kit and seeing how, how he plays every night. I mean, at this, he was like 72, um, but he, he was touring. He never really toured that much in his life. So that mm. was a big tour for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and just like 72 years old doing that van thing. <laughs> yeah. Man. And the first show, first show was Memphis to San Francisco. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and he, man, I got to say, we got to San Francisco. He, that he was done. Like, he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, do this tour <laughs> oh god he was like man it. this sh-, he was like man this shit sucks <laughs> i shouldn't be out here i should be in the studio um but man he pulled it he pulled it together 
Yeah. Um, there was only one show that was, it was a six week tour West coast. And then the last part of it, last three weeks was East coast. Um, there was one show on the West coast where he didn't want to play. And so, I mean, luckily I was there and I played with John. And so John's like, Hey, can you fill in for Howard tonight? Mm-hmm. So, and that was a cool experience too, getting to play his drums. Yeah. And, um, and so when we did the East coast, we stopped in Memphis on the way and Howard, Howard got off that tour. And so I filled in for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then after that tour, I would call him, you know, once a week, twice a week and just be on the phone for like two hours, three hours. Mm-hmm. He'd just be telling stories. <laughs> um, and it was just like every time, every time, I mean, even sometimes he would be telling the same story that he's told me many times, but it's like, no, I want to hear this story again. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. but he, he is the Memphis sound. Hmm. His, his groove is heard all over the world. And, um, yeah, he's just, his pocket is so, so good. So yeah. good. Um, I mean, all that Al Green stuff he played on, Otis Clay, Obi Wright. Um, he played with the Marquis. Uh-huh. Um, he's, I think, I think he told me he's on the, the you know, that tune Last Night by the Marquis. Uh, I don't think so. It was um, one of their big, big hits back then. Yeah. Um, but he's on that first Marquis record, which I never knew. I always thought it was Al Jackson. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, but, any, yeah, anything he, that anything that comes out of Memphis, we all assume it's <laughs> right. Exactly, you know, Al Jackson and Duck Dunn and Booker T. Yeah, and, but it's like, but sometimes yes. it was it, sometimes it was Al Jackson and Howard. Like Howard would play the Kungas. Yeah, um, and and then they would switch it around. Al would play a percussion. Right. Um, so, but him and Al were tight. They were um, they were really tight. And Howard mainly worked with at Royal Studios, High Records, with Willie uh-huh. Mitchell. Uh-huh. Um, so, but yeah, man, and just like Howard's Howard's timekeeping was—I mean, the book Timekeeper. I mean, his time was so dead on. Yeah. Um, and the way he would—it was interesting when you listen to his the records he's on. The way he would play the hi hat and 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 just do the accents on the hi hat with the singer. It was huh. so cool. He would like do like call and answer almost. Um, wow. And so I kind of like borrowed that and kind of tried to incorporate that in my playing, kind of keep his legacy going, how I, how I approach drums. Yeah. It's just having that big backbeat. And it's, it's cool. You mentioned the hi-hat cause man, you can, you can tell a lot of stories with the hi-hat. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. whatever your kick and snare are doing. Um, and this, like this gig has really made me aware of that. Like, like never before, like, you know, what, what I'm doing with the hi-hat really kind of makes or breaks the groove. It's, it's partly about whatever your kick and snare are doing. Cause that's kind of where your ear gravitates yeah. toward. But, yeah. um, you know, uh, doing, doing the right coordination with not quite the right hi-hat thing makes it, not right <laughs> mm-hmm. you know yeah um yeah I mean, that motown stuff i mean sometimes i mean they had two drummers sometimes so right. one guy i feel i think was like just doing the hi-hat parts you know mm. or i could be wrong i i don't know but yeah i'm sure it's i mean all that motown stuff the hi-hat work on that is just yeah amazing yeah 
And, and it could just I mean, be one little accent and you're like, whoa, what was that? But it's just like tiny little thing you just kind of hear in the mix. Right. It's like, whoa. <laughs> and it's all it's all super subtle and none of it's hard. It's just you yeah. you got to know about it. And, you know, yeah. that's that's kind of the, the, the cherry on the sundae or the icing on the cake or that's what that's what makes yeah. it. Um, could you like uh, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on blast, but off the top of your head, could you point to a couple of records that Howard is on? If, if, if people aren't hip to him, if they want to get like a dose of what he's about, are there a couple? Yeah, of course. Um, I have one I was listening to. Um, they're not going to see it, but it's called the many moods of Willie Mitchell. Hmm. And this was kind of a, I think this was a record that was kind of, it's a really strange record. It's very psychedelic. Um, but, um, there's the first tune, I think it's the first tune, it's called Breaking Point. Mm-hmm. Um, that tune is so funky and Howard's, Howard's hi-hat work is so amazing on that, but he also like the way he plays the groove, it's kind of got like a hump to it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like someone's walking with a limp. And, um, this record, Many Moods of Willie Mitchell is my all time favorite. Hmm. Um, Willie Mitchell record. Um, another record that how so many, but um, Otis Clay, Try to Live My Life Without You. Okay. Um, I think is one of my probably my favorite Howard Grimes drumming. Yeah. Lots of hi hat work in that. Um, yeah. All the Ovi Wright stuff, uh, Nickel and a Nail, Memphis Unlimited. Um, and of course, his Al Green stuff. Um, yeah, what Al Green tracks or records was was he on? Well, he was on. What was that? What's the um, the big hit? Um, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking. Let me see. Well, he's Howard's not on. Well, let's stay together is a great record, but he is not. He's not on that tune. What was the other one? Um, I'm trying to remember. What's the other big hit that Al Green had? Um, I'm always blanking on this tune. We're we're gonna ask Google right now, and we're gonna edit this yeah. part out so people will think yeah. we just came up with it off the dome. <laughs> uh, God, these guys are geniuses. Yeah, <laughs> they know every <laughs> song ever. Um, uh, Love and happiness. Uh, Love and happiness. Is yep, that the one? That's the tune. Yeah. Love and happiness. Cool. Um. And, yeah. and so that's a deep, that's a deep cut. That's not, a deep it's not cut. a deep cut, but it's not a, it's a deep groove. <laughs> yeah. And that, I don't know if you noticed, if you listen to that tune, it definitely speeds up because <laughs> they're so in it. Right. Yeah. And it's just a constant like groove throughout. But like, you can tell if you like go back to the beginning of the tune and you're like tapping with the tempo they ended with, it's just slightly, they were really into it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, the Let's Stay Together record uh, Howard plays on is is amazing. Love and Happiness. Um, one of Howard's favorite tunes you ever cut with Al was um, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, mm, Bee Gees yeah, cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you listen to that tune or anyone listens to that tune, just just lay down in the dark, put some headphones on, and just listen to that tune. It's so there's so much space and so much air going through it. Yeah, um, and Howard, you can just tell Howard's just lightly tapping the drums in the studio. I'm, man, that that's was... great. I'm I'm looking at some other Al Green songs that he might have been on that everybody knows. Tired of being alone. Take Tired me, of being alone. Take me to the river. 
mm-hmm. Al Green did a kick-ass, you know, speaking of the Temptations, Al did a kick-ass cover of uh, Can't Get Next to You. Um, yeah. Change is going to come. So, like, who knows Who knows which of these uh, Howard is on, but... Well, I'll give you okay. My, th- I'll give you my three favorite records I ever played on was "Many Moons of Willie Mitchell," um, "Try to Live My Life Without You" by Otis Clay, mm-hmm. and uh, another one. It's called "It's a uh, High on the Blues" by Jimmy McCracklin. <laughs> uh, Jimmy McCracklin was a, a, a old blues uh, piano player singer. He had some stuff in the in the fifties, and he came to High. Uh, in like 69 or 1970 mm-hmm. and cut some stuff with Willie Mitchell. Um, but that record's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, and Howard and Al actually are playing drums on that. I think Al's on like two songs, but most of it's Howard. Cool. Cool. Um, so, you know, you, you obviously spent a lot of time with Howard. Uh, you talked a lot with him. Did you ever have any like actual drum lessons with him? Did you ever, <laughs> it was, it was just, just stories. Um, I mean, he would help me sometimes. I would have some questions about drumming and all that, and he would he would explain it to me on the phone or in person. But never. The only lesson I had with him was watching him play yeah. on that tour, and, yeah. and, and other shows after that. He would be playing locally in Memphis, um, but he didn't play mo- locally much. He was mainly lived in the studio. Yeah, basically how he his whole career he lived in the studio. I can't let you go without asking you about your David Letterman appearance. Sean, Sean insisted. All right, ending this conversation now. No, I'm <laughs> um, but no, like a, a while back when you were what, 14 or even younger? I was 11. You were 11. Fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you, you did like a sort of solo drum appearance on Letterman. And so I, I knew about this, you know, cause Sean told me about it. Um, but what I didn't realize was that, like, you actually got to sit down and talk to Dave. <laughs> he, yeah, like, did an had, interview. It was great. Yeah, I had a two-segment interview with him, and yeah. then I performed with Paul Schaefer and did drum solo and all that. Um, right. And you were yeah, billed as, was, like, you know, a, a drum prodigy from Boston. Yeah, child prodigy. Yeah, um, which and you were. So at the t- yeah, and at the time, now I'm a former pro- child prodigy. Right. And you, you so, came out, you right. came out the other end, uh, uh, healthy and whole and you know, it's not, not yeah. always the case. <laughs> yeah. Ever since then it's been downhill. <laughs> <laughs> that was my peak. Um, yeah, dude, it was, that was crazy. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, it, how I got the opportunity to do that was, um, the na- our neighbors, um, in, in a town called Pembroke, their friend, worked for the show and so our neighbors knew i was a drummer and they were like hey you know our friend told us that letterman's looking for like child prodigies and whatever they do juggling you know whatever yeah it's like you should send a video in of danny playing at some some gig or some drum solo to see what happens right because by this point you you were already like playing in restaurants and shit with bands like where you lived yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I got my first gig when I was seven and was playing bars, nightclubs. My, you know, my parents had to come with me cause they weren't going to let a child in. Um, right. But yeah. And so we sent a video in. I was, I think I was 10 in the video and it was like a year later we get a call at our house from the producer of the show <laughs> and they were like, um, we like to speak to Daniel Banks and my parents were like, all right, who is this? And they told him. And so they're like, yeah, David, uh, David loves your video and he wants to have you on as a guest. Um, when are you free? Like, or, these are the dates we're looking at. And so it took about a year to figure it all out. And there wow. were some dates that they had to cancel because I know, remember one of them was Ray, what's his name? Ray, Ray Ramon, Ray Romano. Ray Romano. Yeah, yeah. He had a book coming out, so they pushed me aside and had him go on. Oh, right, right. Um, <laughs> and so it uh, finally all worked out, and uh, yeah, we drove to New York City. He put us up in a hotel, and um, it was awesome. We did a little rehearsal with the producer. David, David doesn't rehearse. Uh-huh. He just shows up, go. Right. Um, so we rehearsed with the band and rehearsed over like what questions he was going to ask me and all that. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was so cool. <laughs> what was what was rehearsing with the band like? Man, it was fun. Uh, super awesome, awesome band. I'm mean, Paul Schaefer was super sweet. He was a very quiet guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Will Lee was the most energetic one. Yeah. Um, and uh, Anton Fig was really nice. Um, it, it was cool. I just they had me set up side stage with my kit. Yeah. Um, and just I, we played the song, uh, famous blues song by Muddy Waters. I got my mojo working. Right. Right. And we did it kind of like a up tempo. The way I always I remember the first time I ever played that song at some blues jam I was at, um, they just counted off the song. And I was just like, oh, this is like a train beat. Like, you know, and so I just started playing, got my mojo working like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like kind of fast. Yeah. And, um, so that's how we did it. They were just like, you started off. So I started with a train beat and they started playing the tune with me. And it yeah. was, it was so fun. It was a lot of fun to watch, man. Like, it, it, <laughs> uh, um, and it was cool to watch Dave. It, it just reminded me, I, I, God, I fucking miss him. Um, cause he was so, uh, he was so pro, but just such a goofball and he loves drums. Um, yeah. And the way he just like, you know, because like you had never been on a fucking talk show before, but he he so took care of you in that interview. Like I I could tell that you were like you were kind of nervous. You were deer in headlights. You were given a lot of like short kind of one word answers, and Dave just like kept it moving, kept it moving, kept it yeah, moving. kept it going. <laughs> it was so great. Um, and and there's like there's this great um, supercut of Dave. Like for some reason he's into drums. Like I don't think he plays drums. But on on YouTube, there's a supercut of Dave coming up to drummer after drummer after the band plays, and he's like, "Are those yeah. your drums? Are those your drums? <laughs> <laughs> nice drums you got yeah, there. Those are really nice drums." <laughs> oh man, it's great. It was yeah, it was an awesome experience. And as you said, I mean, David was so kind and like it just he made that interview just so easy. I mean, I was I wasn't I, I mean. I guess I was nervous. I was more nervous before, like, as I was side stage. They're like, all right, we're going to count down from five. And then you walk out there. And I was just like, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> but then I walked out there, sat down. It was just like, ah, okay. But the one thing I 
they told me it was like don't look at the the don't look at the video or the the TV screen down there. And I was just like, that was the one thing I was like, okay, I can't look at that. I can't look at that. Cause right. they don't, I don't know. For, I forget why, but, but yeah, David was so nice. And, um, and he kind of went off script a little bit. Some of the questions, it was kind of just like what he came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the one that obviously made it was when the woman flashed me that story. Right. Right. And, uh, <laughs> he had a, he had a, he had so much fun with that. <laughs> He did. He did. He did. <laughs> so, like, that appearance on that show, um, it, it doesn't seem to me like that appearance, like, m- you know, was a make-or-break thing for your career. It seems to me that if you weren't on that show, if you didn't have that appearance, it would you would have followed probably the same track because you were already playing, you were already into the blues – you know, you ended up at Berkeley, you got plucked out of there to go on tour. Like, it doesn't seem like any of that was the result of, uh, you know, that appearance. Yeah. That's just a fun thing I did. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and it's like, it's funny. I don't really tell anyone that I was on the show. Like usually people find it out and they're like, you didn't tell me you're on David Letterman. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, well, yeah. Okay. Let's watch the video. Here we go. (laughs) Let's watch it again. But yeah, I, I completely sort of understand your disposition of it. it you, you don't you don't not tell people about it because you don't want them to know about it. You don't tell them about it because it was just a thing you did and it it didn't have a whole lot of bearing on your life. It was just a fun thing mm-hmm. you did. Yeah, it was just a fun thing I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's and what's the crazy way. is the crazy thing is that the guest on that was Rudolph Giuliani. Oh God. <laughs> So I'm like, well, (laughs) Uh, crazy before the turn. uh, (laughs) Jesus. Um, (laughs) No, I think I think saying, you know, that that was a fun thing I did is the proper way to contextualize that, because, yeah, uh, I think uh, other people who have done other such appearances sort of like hang their hat on it. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. for better or yeah. for worse and that you know that doesn't always go well yeah um, it, it was great it's funny is that nicole um nicole atkins was on the show first time in 2006 or 2007 mm-hmm. so every time i'm like yeah i was on letterman before you were <laughs> <laughs> man but then it's... she got to do conan and and craig ferguson and all those shows so it was like I got Letterman. I'm cool with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and man, one one of the many reasons that it's a damn shame that Letterman isn't on the air anymore is that like you you could you could end up back on his show. You could come full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That'd be awesome. <laughs> not not gonna happen. Maybe maybe you'll, no, it's maybe not. you'll get to go on. Uh, my next guest needs no introduction. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's uh, I. I so I saw um, Felicia Collins. She played guitar in Paul Schaefer's band, right? And Will Lee. I saw them. Uh, it was like twenty fifteen, I think twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. Um, I was in New York City on tour with Namath, and um, they showed up. Or Will Lee was playing uh, somewhere with Bernard Purdy, so we went to that show. We had a night off, went there, and. Um, after the gig, he was backstage and I kind of snuck back there and I was like, Hey, Will Lee, do you remember me? And he was like, dude, I don't, who are you? I was like, 
don't know if you remember, but 2005, David Letterman show, I was the child prodigy that played drums. And he's like, oh, yeah, man, I remember you. <laughs> That's and great. then Felicia Collins, uh, same kind of same reaction, like, I don't know who you are. Like, right. stop bothering me. <laughs> and I told them, they were like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. I think pound for pound, that was the most shit hot TV band of all time. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Like, definitely. there were a lot of good ones, but that, that Schaefer band with Anton and Will and, like, just mm-hmm. son of a bitch. They were so, and Bones yeah, Malone. <laughs> yeah. And was it was it Lou Marini too? Was he playing sax? Probably or, for at least at least for part of it. Um, or was he? He was SNL, wasn't he? It, it's entirely possible he did both. I know he was SNL, but yeah, um, yeah. God, with a bunch of fucking New York assassins. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, well, hey, yeah. man, it was it was great to talk to you. It was great to to meet you finally because. We of know course, a lot of the yeah. same people and been been following following you on IG. Um, but thanks thanks a lot for talking, man. It was really fun. Man, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. There you go, Danny Banks. Thanks to him for hanging. Be on the lookout for him on tour with Nicole Atkins and on her next record. Looking forward to hearing how Danny contributes to that. Next week, Matt Kraus will be talking with Martin Linz. Martin works with a variety of old-school country and Americana artists in Nashville and tours with Chuck Mead. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, play pretty, play quiet, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.